Hello and welcome to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez. I am a school principal in search of wisdom so I can best serve my community. As part of this show, I interview luminary figures as I believe humanity can be better if they learn from them. In essence, the purpose of this podcast is to learn about the side B of the luminary figure, meaning what makes them be who they are. It is also an opportunity to express gratefulness for the perhaps even more luminary figures that inspired the interviewee. Today I have the distinguished honor of interviewing Daniel Bauer, who is the host of Better Leaders, Better School podcast with over 1 million downloads. He just published Mastermind, Unlocking Talent Within Every School Leader. And when you think about Daniel Bauer, I want you to think about that leader that walked a little bit farther than the usual leader to to begin this process of, I will call it the productivity principle. And many of us have benefited, highly benefited from the interviews that he has done throughout the years. Danny Bauer, who are you? <laughs> yeah, who am I? That's a really great question, you know, and uh, uh, that could go in many, many ways. Hey, you know, years ago, I used to say that I was an artist and my canvas is the classroom right and i still see myself as that way my classroom has just changed it's no longer in the boundaries of a local school uh, it's within the confines and constraints of the podcast and of course the leadership community that i you know uh, steward so uh, that's that's who i am and i also call myself a ruckus maker right so out of the box you know innovative leader making change happen in education Tell us more about the the ruckus maker. So, um, because I I I know you use it a lot in your podcast. I'm assuming uh, <laughs> it's in the book. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So the ruckus maker thing is really a, a, a nod toward my mentor uh, or one of my mentors. In in Seth Godin has really influenced my thinking. You know, over the years, I've uh, probably read just about every book he's written i've participated in a number of his uh, seminars and you know programs including the alt mba where i was a student and now a coach for that program too uh, but he's always telling people to go out there and make a ruckus right and there's also another just wonderful author i don't know if you know him austin cleon he wrote a book called steal like an artist and show your work and the idea behind steal uh, like an artist is not It's not plagiarism, but the point is uh, taking good ideas and continuing to spread them, give credit where credit's due, and then add, add your own personality, right? Like add another nuance to it and make the idea even better. So anyways, I, I think I did that with the idea of ruckus making in education. And it's not, it's not the image of a number of toddlers, you know, banging pots and pans in the kitchen. No, that's like, that's a bad ruckus. Like... This is a good ruckus in terms of uh, poking holes in, in, in thinking that's not clear, uh, questioning the status quo, and really just trying to innovate and iterate within our industry to make education even better. So that's really what uh, making a ruckus is all about. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. 
Danny, for the uh, listeners of the show, can you walk us through your professional trajectory up to this point? Ooh, professional trajectory. So I studied at University of Illinois, you know, Urbana-Champaign, and uh, being a guy from the Midwest and experiencing many, many Chicago winters, I said, no more, okay? No more. And so I only applied to uh, my first teaching position uh, in warm climates, right? Uh, I almost landed in California. That's where I wanted to go, but it didn't work out. Um, and so I had a number of applications in the Southeast, uh, around Atlanta. I still wanted, you know, an urban uh, city experience and long story short there, uh, the first interview I went on, they offered me a position. I said, all right, great. <laughs> Now the rest of the trip can be a road trip instead of interviews, canceled all the interviews and I uh, started teaching in Marietta, Georgia. The tip for the listener, I stayed in touch, like stay in touch with mentors and with people who have influenced your life. So I never stopped um, calling uh, my favorite professor, Professor Arlette Willis uh, at the U of I. And essentially after four years, she said, hey, you've done a lot of great work. It's time for you to come home. I'll help pay for your master's and uh, we'll do that in the next step of your career. So got a master's, you know, in language and literacy, stuck around Champaign-Urbana, taught for a while. Then I was up in Chicago by you, you know, teaching and uh, finally, you know, being an administrator. Uh, and then I accepted my first principal position in Texas. Uh, and from there, decided to go all in on what we do in this space with podcasting. Uh, my wife is very, very smart. She's an epidemiologist and we met in Houston, Texas. She wanted to continue her research overseas. I said, you know what? Let's see if I can do this full time and give me a year to figure it out. If I don't, I can always go back to a school. There's international schools. But if I do figure out, then what, you know? And I just said, I'll keep showing up. And yeah, six years later, <laughs> I keep showing up to work. This is this is my thing that I do. So podcasting and supporting school leaders is, is my profession. And I do say that I have the best job in the world. I know a lot of us say that, but I really mean it because think of this too, Efrain, like when you have your staff, like I'm not knocking your school, I'm in generally, right? You're going to have people on that staff that Sometimes the attitude stinks, right? Uh, they, you, you question, do you even like kids? Do you want, do you want to be here, right? All this kind of stuff. You have same thing with the class, right? Where you have to convince students, which is a great thing, to care about your topic. Everybody I support wants to be there. So can you imagine like the environment where everybody's like hungry and wanting to learn, and they're all in, 100% invested? That is a very special place, and I'm just super lucky. You know that that's my reality right now that's that's i'm gonna even ask you a follow-up question to that one like yeah where did this want or desire to support others came from the, can you pinpoint the moment when you say hmm i think i want to do this yeah i can thank you that's a great question and a lot of times you know people like us we're scratching our own itch you know and i, I think you probably might answer in a similar way, but I just wanted to grow my own skill set, right? So my podcast, talking to awesome people like you, if I could learn from your success and failure and take action on one idea, I would grow my skill set. I just happened to do that in public 
remember I said Austin Kleon's show your work, right? So I am a big proponent of doing stuff in public, not in private. And and also documenting my learning and my growth in public, right? Successes and failures. Uh, so anyways, that worked. What I wasn't what I wasn't uh, ready for is that people would start writing in and asking questions. What would you do in this situation? You know, how might I handle this? Do you have a resource around this topic? And uh, all of a sudden, I'm like, huh, this is interesting. I also wanted to grow the podcast to have a big impact, you know, on our on our field and with our colleagues. And so I joined myself a, a structure called the ma- a mastermind, and I experienced so much personal and professional transformation in a short amount of time. That's where the light bulb, right, the metaphorical light bulb went off, and I said, huh. Who is connecting isolated leaders, right? And supporting them in a very real, you know, an authentic way, talking about education and leadership in depth on a weekly basis, right? So I just started inviting people to this party that I also call the mastermind. Uh, there were seven early adopters. And then when I was a principal, there might have been 20 people, you know. Uh, we did it all, of course, outside of school hours and that kind of thing. And then when I went all in on myself, you know, it grew from 20, 40, 50, 60, you know, now almost 80 or so. So it's uh, it's pretty wild, but it was just solving my own problem, right? And it just solved the problem for a lot of others as well. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Daniel. Uh, if you could go back in time, like in Back to the Future, uh, yes. what would be one or two things you would tell yourself in any of the positions you have held? In any of the positions, what I tell myself, you know, I think, I think a lot of leaders struggle to uh, to find and trust their voice, and often try to be somebody else. That could be a good thing, right? People that you look up to, and you're like, okay, I like how this person leads. Let me lead in that way. Now you can you can take bits and pieces of that, but don't try to fully be, you know, that person. And so my advice to myself is like, just trust that your voice, your perspective, your insights, your presence has tremendous value, right? And can create the kind of impact that you want within a, a culture and a local school community. So it's about confidence and trust in your voice. That's a great advice. Thank you so much. That uh, um, uh, imposter syndrome is real. Yes, and, uh, it is. <laughs> that's such a great advice. Thank you so much, Daniel. Um, this is a broad question. Uh, okay. You mentioned Seth Godin. Uh, who do you learn from? Yeah, so Seth is somebody I mentioned, Austin Kleon. Uh, wow. I mean, I have so many authors that I respect. My favorite book of all time is uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, I love The Art of Possibility by... Uh, ben Zander and Rosamund Stone Zander. I actually named my co- my company is not Better Leaders, Better Schools. It's actually 12 Practices LLC, right? Even though people know me from the podcast, the website, and the blog, Better Leaders, Better Schools. But in the Art of Possibility, they present 12 practices uh, that will really transform your life in leadership. And I love the principles they teach so much. I named my company after those 12 principles. And honestly, I didn't even create core values for the company. 
because it's the book. So like, <laughs> you know, if you join the team, you get the art of possibility. And we, we talk about the principles in there. Let me share just one principle because it's it's very challenging. You're gonna love it, your listeners are gonna love it. It's called being the board, right? And being the board, so like a board of education or a board of you know directors or whatever, these are people you answer to. This is about being a board to yourself. Listen to this quote. Like I'm trying to really set it up. Do you have goosebumps yet? Like I'm listen. Ready. I am the framework for everything that happens in my life. I am the framework for everything that happens in my life. There's no more pointing fingers. There's no more complaining about parents or students or faculty. Everything you're experiencing is a result of you. So it's about radical ownership and responsibility. Of course, people do stuff, right? And there's consequences in that. But it's not about who's to blame or looking outside of yourself. It's looking within. How can you be better, right? In a relationship, even in conflict, let's say a teacher is underperforming, uh, how are you supporting them or not, right? And is that support landing or is it not working, right? So it's just about radical responsibility and ownership. And I, I love that. So uh, that's being the board. Awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Another broad question, who is or who are your biggest influences? Yeah, so some of those authors for sure. Uh, influences, you know, I do serve this mastermind community. And so some of these folks I've worked with for six years, right? And obviously I bring something to the table or people wouldn't stick around uh, and create the conditions where they can flourish. But seeing my quote unquote students, right? You know, but they're leaders of schools to see their growth and how they've transformed the way they are willing to stretch and leap, you know, in ways that weren't possible before uh, is really inspirational, right? I mean, you know this, I'm sure your faculty and students, your children, right, inspire you. And so it's like the people that I serve, like, wow, that's, that's daily inspiration and why I keep showing up to work, so to speak. <laughs> Absolutely, hi. Uh, you know, uh, Daniel, since you worked in schools and you work in your own uh, studio with your podcast and your writing and your coaching, uh, productivity is obviously very important in your life, yet this can look so different to so many people. So when people talk to you about your own productivity, what would you, how would you describe it and what recommendations do you have? Yeah, I love this question. I love that you dig into this on your show. There's, it's nuanced, obviously, and there's many, many parts. I used to teach a productivity course. I probably should go back to that. When I think people about productivity... People need, sorry? People, people need that guidance on how mm. to organize that because everybody wants to do stuff but it's so complicated for some to think about the steps to get there so that's yeah. part of this show how do we get where our wisdom want us to get we cannot get it without our productivity that's that's my yeah view. so what does it mean to you yeah for me you know i teach something called the ideal week and from a very high level it's just being extremely intentional with your time and your calendar, uh, 
It's called an ideal week for a reason because things happen and you sometimes get off the, the path. But if you don't even have the path established of how you want to spend your time, you're never going to be fully efficient and productive in that way. Some stuff when I teach ideal week that seems counterintuitive uh, or people scratch their heads about, I actually want to put, uh, like if I was telling you, I am telling you and your listeners, put yourself on there first, like things that you need for your energy, right? And, and things that feed you, fill your cup, so to speak, right? You can't pour out to others if you're on empty. So that's one part of it. Then putting your family on there. Whoa, family first too. We all say it, but do we really practice it? And, you know, if you are sick and tired of missing your kids' sports or, you know, music performances and that kind of stuff, well, put it on the calendar and have boundaries and exercise your ability to say no, even to central office. No, I'm not going to do that. My kid has a has something going on and I'm, that's more important right now. So you first, then family, and then you get into the business of school. When I talk about ideal week, I challenge leaders to have a deep work block, which that's you moving forward key initiatives. It's strategic, you know, it's strategic thinking. It's doing stuff only you can do, right? Uh, and protecting that time. Ideally for an hour to 90 minutes, if you can get it to three hours somehow, uh, then that's even better, right? Uh, just once a week, you know, and the more the merrier if you can figure that out, but small steps because typically that really is difficult for school leaders. Besides deep work, then I tell people to put lunch on their calendar. It's, it's a, if I, ha I have enemies in education, okay, in school leadership, I I have a soft spot in my heart, but it's very small for people that don't take care of themselves, right? So I'm like, listen, your, your body's a machine. You need fuel to work and operate at a high level. Why skip, why, like, and you deserve it. You're worth, like, do you think, let's say a CEO of Google, I don't even know who that is. You think this person, he or she, doesn't have lunch? No, that person needs lunch. So why can't you, you know, have lunch and you're not running like a, you know, billion, trillion, gazillion dollar company. So put lunch on there next. Uh, and then I talk about put email on your ideal calendar because uh, you shouldn't always have it on. I coach people, no notifications, one social media app on your phone because it's a distraction, honestly. Uh, if you're willing to take email off your phone, and, and that one social media too is, I still get on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, you see my content, but I do it on my computer because that way um, it's very intentional and I'm using it as a tool instead of me being the tool used by social media. So it's a lot about that intentionality. And then once you have those things on there, it's the observations, it's the meetings you can't, you know, move and that kind of stuff, but it's, it's prioritizing, you know, how you're gonna spend your time. Um, Outside of that ideal week, when I teach productivity, show your work in public, write down your goals, tell people your goals in public, right? Because now you're on the hook uh, and keep score. Keeping score is a, a very, that's a high level thing that I don't think a lot of people do. 
A to-do list uh, is a distraction as well. That's a million things, a hundred things. Uh, it's a place to hide. And by hiding, I mean, you might do all the low level stuff on your to-do list because it feels good and you cross it off and you get that like little excitement from checking the box. But that doesn't mean you actually created like real value. Have you ever played poker by yeah. any chance? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when, you, when you're playing like Texas Hold'em and you're dealt in, if you're right next to the dealer, you have to play, right? Uh, but everybody else, it's their decision if they match the bid, you know? If they match the bid, that means they continue for another round, okay? The low-level tasks on your to-do list is just matching the bid. It means you get to continue playing the game, right? You get to keep your job. That doesn't mean you get to win. So being very uh, strategic here, again, with what's most important, right? That's how you win at poker and how you win at school leadership. So when I keep score, it's not the whole to-do list. I have big, big goals that I go after every quarter, right? And then I map from the quarter goals, what can I do today to get closer to achieving the quarterly goal? And those are the things that I measure. And it's only three, I call it the big three. The big three tasks align to my quarterly goals. Those are the things that I measure. And I can tell you like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, no, Monday and Tuesday, I was three for three. Yesterday, I was one for three. So it's not, every day is not a perfect day, but what I've found, and this is the last thing I'll say, uh, if you can over a quarter, right? So that one for three score yesterday, I don't get depressed about it. I don't beat myself up. If my quarterly average can be over 80%, I'm gonna get a lot of stuff done and be super productive and super happy, right? Create a ton of value. And so it's like, uh, take, take score in the moment, but don't get like all tied up into it and have that uh, larger, you know, zoomed out view in terms of your overall productivity. Wow, that's like a masterclass in itself, all that. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that, especially how you like, kind of like separate things in a way that makes sense. Thank you. Let me ask you a follow-up question. Um, with your podcast, what lessons have you learned from the moment you started to now? Uh, what recommendations do you have in terms of um, the, the best way to organize yourself to, to, to have something that makes sense? What happens behind the scenes? Behind the scenes, you know, I was, who was I talking to? The, uh, yeah, I was talking to a guy, Dr. Khalil Graham. He's a uh, director of a charter network down in South Carolina. He quoted Urban Meyer. So I'm quoting Dr. Graham, quoting Urban Meyer, and now it's me saying it. But basically, from what I remember, he said, average leaders have quotes, uh, good leaders, uh, who I forget what that is, <laughs> but the exceptional leaders. <laughs> so the exceptional leaders, I remember this, they have systems, right? So it doesn't matter like what the, the good leaders have. But the point is like, if you could think in systems and and have that support, then you're going to be almost automatic in terms of uh, pumping out stuff that's excellent in quality. And so, you know, you, you've, you've been through the process with me, like there's a pre-interview, right? And there's, there's a way that I get to know my guests, set them up for success, but I could also share how they add value. And it's also sort of, um, if I don't want to move forward with someone and hit record, that's the time to figure that out, right? And I only learned that by hiring a coach. So I'm very much a proponent of investing in yourself 
getting people that can look at what you do and show you where you can improve, right? So anyways, there's that part. But then behind the scenes too, uh, I delegate pretty much everything. So all I do these days is that pre-interview and the interview, hit record, and now there is a system where the team takes it, right? So right, like, uh, when you want the nitty gritty, this is how it works, okay? Now, and then you can figure out what it looks like in school leadership terms. But you and I record, I hit end of record, I record the intro really quick. So now there's the intro file and the main audio file. And I have a Google spreadsheet with everybody's name, the date, the episode number, uh, the title, and then a link to the show notes when I was working with you. And from there, I use a tool called Zapier. So school leaders, you know, your listeners, check out this tool, Zapier. Uh, I think there is a free version. I use a paid one because I use it a lot. But what Zapier does is it connects all the disparate, you know, applications that we use and connects them as if they're one app. So when I enter some new data into the Google Sheet, uh, then a card gets made on a Trello board, right? And Trello is like a productivity board type of thing. And it tags my team. And automatically, it gives them all the information. Your name. When should the episode be released? The number. It also even creates a checklist so that there's uh, five or six posts I want on Twitter regarding your show. Like the show notes writer needs to write them on there. Because so in the background, there's somebody, the, the audio engineer who's producing it, right? And making it sound nice. There's a show notes writer who listens and then writes good show notes for the listener. And then there's a virtual assistant who takes all of that, uploads it to Libsyn, so it gets published. Uh, She creates the blog page. She posts the social media posts. She creates the artwork, right? I don't touch any of that stuff, but it's because I put a lot of effort on the front end of building that system and then training my team. And now it's a well-oiled machine, right? I don't have to touch it at all. I just do the interviews. And so that's a key lesson in terms of productivity and leadership. Do only what you can do. And then you have to delegate the rest, even if you like it. I write I write great show notes. But it, at this point in my career, that's not worth my time and energy, if that makes sense. I love to do the stuff on social media. I love to mess around with creating the graphics. That's okay. But I'm not the best at it. And if Abby, my virtual assistant, does it, for me, and it's even 80% of the quality of what I would create, who cares? Because the amount of time that I've saved, I can be supporting school leaders, I can be inviting new school leaders to what I do, I could be creating different content that's gonna help. And so it's about those systems and delegation. Beautiful, that's like, I'm gonna get there one day. Uh, I'm still in the very basic uh, stage, but I love and, and, and learning more about how the other people do it so I can up my game. Thank you, uh, Daniel. And uh, let's go to the book. Uh, as an aspiring author, um, I imagine any any author, once they publish their book, when they see the book in their hand, they probably have a, a um, remember the moment that they thought, hmm, I'm going to write a book. And, and, and they, that flashback comes back and forth. Can you walk us through that process of writing a book, uh, your discipline in writing, getting it organized, uh, 
uh, getting it edited, all that process. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, of course. Uh, so first of all, like there's a story Jim Collins tells in one of his great, you know, leadership books called the 20 mile March. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but I, I forget the explorers names, but I think it was, I think it was Antarctica or something like that. And, um, anyways, these two explorers are, are trying to get like the furthest in the coldest, you know, environment and that kind of thing. And, and I'm, surely going to mess up some of the details but the high level idea is sound so one of the expedition crews had all the, the latest technology uh, they had tons and tons of food and resources and this kind of stuff um, they ignored the wisdom of, of indigenous folks to the region and so instead of dogs they had like electric uh, snowmobiles and that kind of stuff Um, and long story short, uh, this group ended up not fulfilling the expedition and they all died out there in, in the cold, right? The machines broke down. Um, they were carrying too much stuff with them. You know, uh, when it was nice out, they went really, really far. When the weather was challenging, they didn't go anywhere. They didn't even break camp. Then there was another group, and again, I don't remember who led the group and that kind of thing, but the point is that they listened to the indigenous wisdom, they used sled dogs, uh, they brought just enough, so they, they somehow measured that, but like they brought just enough resources, probably even if they didn't uh, make it in the time that they predicted, that they wouldn't have enough, right? So just enough, literally. Um, Uh, in any ways, they did 20 miles. This is the key point. They did 20 miles every day. So whether it was beautiful weather for exploring or if it was terrible weather and windy and snowy and icy and all this kind of stuff, they always did 20 miles every day and then stopped, put up camp and rested. So when you're writing a book, I applied that same idea of the 20 mile march to my writing. And the way that looked is just write for an hour every single day. You might only come up with five words and have the discipline of just staring at this stinking screen, you know, and it's not a great day because of the resistance or the imposter syndrome, or you're really flying and you could write even more, but you stop at an hour. So that was my, my disciplined approach. Uh, Hemingway actually, Ernest Hemingway said that was his writing technique to stop in mid sentence. So when he came back to his book, like his consciousness, you know, and creativity, like it just, it started right where he left off. So write for an hour every single day. And again, big three, that was something I measured, right? So did I do it or don't, or did I not do it? Uh, and then outside of that, I thought of the book as actually maybe like a hundred blog posts and that kind of thing. So a book is very challenging potentially you know you're writing i don't even know like what 10,000 15,000 words like something right um it's going to be a few hundred pages or whatever that's a big big thing to take on but if you think i'm just going to write a blog post today which i do all the time that seems easier you know and so actually even before the blog posts and the writing i just came up with like a whole bunch of topics and titles in the concept the topic of mastermind that i could riff on and provide value and resources so i write all those up and then all of a sudden you have a lot of material a lot of content 
and then you give it to your editor and your editor says your organization is terrible and you go oh no what am i gonna do <laughs> and uh i've been telling this story on on podcast but it's a good one listen to write a better book i stopped writing a book and so i got away from the screen i got off of social media all this kind of stuff i unplugged I took a lot of long walks in nature, really tried to think about what makes the mastermind work. I have all this content, but people like frameworks as well, you know, it provides structure and boundaries and stuff. And so I thought, hmm, since I'm in education, can I play with the idea of like ABCs, one, two, three? I mean, it's foundational. So. I named the framework before I knew what the framework was. ABC is a powerful professional development. And then I thought about in the context of our community, could I work with, with that idea? And it started to really just uh, flesh out quite quickly. And I saw the A was authenticity. The B was belonging. The C, there's always a part of challenge. You know, I challenge people to take action. And once I had that, I'm like, huh. It really started resonating with my, my heart, my soul. I shared it with the editor, at least the framework. She's like, that is super interesting. And then that became the structure of the book, right? So there's an intro, like what's the problem? And then authenticity, belonging, challenge, and a conclusion, ta-da, you're done. <laughs> and I felt super good about it because the editor said, you nailed it, right? And so those are just some of the ways that, that I did it. Beautiful. What a wonderful way to explain that. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, one day I'm going to be in that same shoe. <clears throat> okay, so this has been such a great conversation, Danielle. Any last thoughts you would like to share with the listeners of the show? Uh, just that, that you are worth it, right? And, and whether that is protecting time within your calendar for uh, things that you need, Even if that's 10 minutes of meditation within the workday, you know, you're worth it. Or if you're looking at awesome professional development experiences, whether that's a, a conference or some kind of training or potentially, you know, working within our community and how we support school leaders, you're worth it in that sense too. I find as educators, like we're great, right? At taking care of others and sometimes not so good at taking care of ourselves. And so I challenge you to prioritize your needs, whether they are, you know, physical, relational, emotional, spiritual, uh, professional, and, and yeah, just invest in yourself. You are worth it. Thank you so much. Thank you for being in the show. Thank you, Efrain. Like, this has been an incredible experience and you are amazing. You know, I, I to, I, I've, I've tried to be uh, very positive with you, but I really love your vibe and what you're putting out there and it's uh, making a difference. So thank, thank you. you so much. Ditto to you. Thank you for inspiring people like me. This has been the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez, Wisdom and Productivity, Peace and Calm.